It's good to be back together again. Amen. Right? Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, for those of you for whom this is your first loft, we hope it is not your last. We hope that you make this a habit. Um, let me say a few things about our worship at Calvin. Um, we come from all over the world to study and learn here at Calvin College, and we come with different traditions and practices around worship. And some of you come from like the wave your hands in the air, bring it all out kind of thing. And some of you come from what I affectionately call the frozen chosen uh, <laughs> kind of worship style, where it's a little more like this. All right? All things are welcome in this space, okay? So if you're somebody who's like all in, all we ask is, you know, don't hit anybody. Just, just keep it in. Personal space issues. If you want to dance in the aisles, you go ahead and dance. If you want to get down on your knees, you get down on your knees. You do what you need to do. And if you're a little bit freaked out by that, just hold it together. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. We're getting you ready for the new heavens and the new earth, all right? When we're all going to worship in all kinds of different ways together. So this is really good practice for eternity. Um, so think about that way. Uh, and we worship in different styles, different traditions. We've got the chapel schedule going on. Um, so pick one of those up. Every day is different. I want to give a heads up that starting tomorrow, we're going to have people who are preaching through each of the things that we're doing in the Bible study. So if you're a Bible study leader or a tender, you may find it particularly helpful to come on Mondays um, as we'll be looking at those characters and events um, if you're a little more chill person and you like candles and quiet, reflective, Tuesday is your day. Um, so just pay attention to the chapel schedule. Try out new things. Again, getting you ready for eternity, all right? So try different ways of worship. We also have uh, a handy-dandy bookmark for you, which lays out what we're talking about. So um, as you probably have heard, we're doing Old Testament characters and events, both at Loft and in the Bible study. We said to the religion department last spring, if there were 10 characters or events that you would want your students to know before they came to your religion class, what would they be? And they gave us lists, and we came up with 20. And so we're going to do 10 here at Loft, and we're going to do 10 in the Bible studies. So by the end of the semester, you will be exposed to 20 characters or events. And uh, I know for some of you, it's like, hey, I think I know just about everybody on that list. Great, come anyway. We need your expertise. We need you to lean in. And for anybody who's like, I recognize maybe one name on that list. Great, this is for you, okay? Um, as you know, the Bible studies aren't about Bible trivia. It's not about getting your theology right. It's about having good conversations about the things that matter. So there's one on every floor in every dorm. There are lots more you can sign up for. Pastor Joella is here tonight. Raise your hand, Pastor Joella. Yes, she is awesome. She is awesome. If you're trying to find a Bible study that works with your time, your schedule, your life, and or you want to start one on your own, she can help you out. There's a whole video that's training. Everything's online. Super easy. So check that out. All right. At Loft, we have opportunities for service. Um, and some of you can be greeters. Some of you can run projection. Some of you can do drama, dance, visual arts. Some of you can set up coffee and cookies. We're going to have sign-ups for all of those downstairs afterwards by the coffee and the cookies. These are really pretty easy commitments, all right? Um, so check them out. We particularly need people to run projections. So Galila's back there tonight. Galila, hello. Yes. 
We will train you how to do all these things, whether that's, um, uh, I don't know if we train people to do dance. We hope you come in with some sort of skill level there. Um, but if you want to be a greeter, help with projection, drama, dance, visual arts, coffee, cookie setup, all of that is available. And then we're also going to have signups for prayer servants. And this is a particular ministry that happens on Sunday nights. There's a group of people who comes together and walks through this space before we worship together and prays over it, prays for all of you, prays for the people who are leading. And then afterwards, we have prayer servants who stand in the back. And if you've got something in your life you think, I would really need prayer for this this week, that's the ministry that they provide. So if you're willing to do either before, pray through the service, or after, pray with students, please sign up to be a prayer servant. There will also be training for that, and that will start in a couple of weeks. So um, we encourage you, if you haven't already, to find your chapel buddy or your loft buddy or your chapel squad or your loft hive or however you want to organize yourselves. Um, we grow better when we grow in community, when we have accountability, when there's someone we can look for when we come into this worship space. And so we encourage you to find your people uh, and get into that habit. <clears throat> we have an offering every Sunday night at Loft. It's for the Community Care Fund, which is a fund for whom? Yes, it's for you. It's for students. It's students giving to students who are in need. So we have students who have emergency root canal or something and they don't have insurance. They can apply to get some funds from the fund. We have people who have to travel for emergencies, for funerals. So this is a way in which we care for each other. So hence the community care fund. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll have a way that you can text to give. We're not quite there this week. Um, so for now, we're going old school, actually like cash or checks. Uh, so throw those in. Let's take the offering now. As God has given us so much, we give it back to him.
Hi, everyone. I am Pastor Matt. Y'all make me feel special. Uh, I get to, to offer a prayer for us tonight. Um, I will be praying for BHT. We'll be, we'll be doing this throughout the year. We'll be praying for different parts of our community, our living community. So we'll be praying for BHT tonight in our, in our prayer. Um, and so I invite you now to continue to worship with me through prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this evening. We thank you for this time of, of worship where we can bow down before you in prayer. We can, we can sing with our, our mouths and, and participate with our whole hearts. Lord, you have made us uh, fearfully and wonderfully, and we, we seek to worship you with all that we are. Lord, we hope that this place, this, this community, this place here at Calvin College can be a place of, of life and light, that this chapel might be a place of refuge for those who are weary, that it might be a stronghold for those who need a, a sturdy place, Lord, make this place a place that honors you in all that we do and say, a place that shines your life and light. Because, Lord, we need it. We see a lot of darkness in the world right now. We see your hurting world through natu natural disasters. We think of Texas and Louisiana and now Florida. We think of pl other places around the world that are experiencing incredible flooding like Bangladesh and India and Nepal. We think of the wildfires that are happening in our own country and across the world. We pray for the people who have been affected by the earthquake in Mexico. And Lord, we hear wars and, and rumors of wars, and it breaks our hearts. We're not sure what to do. We're not sure what it means for us. We're not quite sure how to respond. So we lift up our hearts in prayer. We think of the peninsula of Korea. We, 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 we lift up places like Syria and South Sudan that continue to be uh, turned into, uh, in turmoil because of civil war. We think of our own country here with Charlottesville and the new uh, uh, rescinding of DACA. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who feel frightened more than frightened, scared for their lives. We hope to stand alongside them and pray for them, defend them. We pray for those who are affected by sickness. We pray for Ella DeWine. We pray that you might heal her body. We pray for those who have a lot of anxiety right now, people who are homesick, people who are lonely. Lord, you are a God who hears us. We bring these things to you because these things are heavy on our hearts and because we're confident that you do hear us. You hear us when we pray. And you love this world better than we ever could. And we know that your heart is breaking for these things as well. But we're also reminded of moments of joy, even here in this first week of class at Calvin. We thank you for good roommates and sweet mates, for housemates that take care of us. We thank you for Chaos Day, 
We thank you for exciting first days of classes and that, that twinge of, of excitement at something that we hadn't known before and we're excited to learn more about it. Lord, you are the source of all that is good and you are the source of that joy in our lives. Lord, we thank you that Calvin is a place that prepares us to go out and be life and light in a broken world. To be people who respond to these things that break our hearts with the hope of the gospel. That we can be people who say, this isn't the way that it will always be. Jesus had something to say about this. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Lord, make us people who respond to these things in this way, with the hope of the gospel. And help us to learn about these things here at Calvin. Lord, prepare our hearts now for the hearing of your word. We pray a blessing on our sister, Pastor Mary, that she might be able to to speak your words and that your spirit might work powerfully in our hearts that we might hear what you're teaching us tonight. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're starting at the beginning, a very good place to start. We're starting at Genesis. The black books around you or near you are the Bibles. You should be able to find one there. Let me say, if you came to Calvin and you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to take one of these home with you. Um, Just let us know where you took it from so we can replace it, but we don't want you to, to not have one if you need one. We're starting with Genesis. And... um, So you may know already that there are actually two creation stories. The first one is Genesis 1. That's the one about the six days and then the seventh day of rest. And it's a story about order. It's a story about structure. It's a story about God speaking things into being. The second story is the story we're going to look at tonight. That's the one in Genesis 2 and then in Genesis 3. And that's a story that's about relationships. It's about relationships. So as I read Genesis 2, I invite you to be thinking about how these relationships all structure together. I'll begin where it says, another account of the creation, right there, verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the ground and there was no one to till the ground, But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord made grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall die. 
Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're going to stop it right there for now. So, do you see that in this story, in this accounting, we have a God who is intimately involved in the forming of his creation? This is a God who is quite literally getting his hands dirty in the soil. This is like somebody who's taking just such delight and forming things up. And he sets things up so that the man, the creation, is in relationship, in harmony with the things around it. So he takes Adam, that's the word for human, out of Adama, which is the word for the ground. And there's this intimacy between the human and the creation. And the human is placed in the creation to till it and to keep it. And you can just sense this delight from God as he forms these things together. And he's providing for what the human will need. So he gives him plants and he gives him water and he gives him companions. And there's this delightful scene where the Lord's like making the little animals and then like sending them over to Adam like, I wonder what he'll call that. Wonder what he'll call that. Right? And there's this delight and there's this playfulness and there's this offering up where God says, I'm, I want you to be in this with me. I want you, Adam, human, to be part of this with me. I'm giving you this delight, this responsibility over these other creatures that I have made. You and I are in this together. I will give you what you need. I will provide for you. I delight over you. And then there's this wonderful turn where, you know, of, of all the beautiful golden retrievers in the world, it was not enough. And, and there was something else that was needed. And what's really interesting is that when it comes to the creation of the woman, God doesn't go back to the earth. He starts out from the side of the man. And scholars point out that, that there's this mutuality right away at the creation, that God is saying you two are intimately connected in ways that are unlike your connection with the rest of creation. And you come out of the side to show that you are equal, that you are partner, that you are a helper. And the word that's used here, I will make him a helper, is the Hebrew word etzer, E-Z-E-R. And it's a word that's often used to refer to God, God as helper. So it's not this idea of servant helper, it's this idea of partner helper, like you've got a big world to take care of, Adam, and you're going to need somebody to come alongside you and help you out. 
And Adam is delighted by this. And he looks at her and he says, oh, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Yes. Thank you, God. Well done, you. <laughs> That's the delight that's happening here in Genesis 2. The relationship between God and humans is intimate and it's mutual and it's delightful. And the relationship between humans and the creation is this intimacy and delight and joy. And the relationship between the human and the human is intimate and it's delight and it's joy and it's expressive. And this is what, when theologians are talking about creation, this is the idea they're trying to get across, that there's this beauty and this harmony and this intimacy and everything's just working the way it's supposed to work. Creation. Beautiful. Short-lived. Short-lived. Because the story goes on. Wouldn't it be great if it just ended there? <laughs> wow, that'd be awesome. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the tree in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight for the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, um, the woman, a woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and then I, I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
the man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So things don't go so well there. And you see that it's the relationships that get messed up. See, the first thing is that the serpent, who's a creature, tries to assert his authority over a human. And he tries to get at her relationship with God. And he makes God out to seem be really mean. God's really mean, you know. Did he say you couldn't eat any of that fruit? Wow, God's so mean. And she says, no, that's not what he said. He said we can eat anything, we just can't eat that or we can't touch it. So she wins that one. Good job, human. Then he comes back at her and he says, you won't die. And what he's saying there is, God is a liar. God can't be trusted. You see, God knows that as soon as you eat that, you're going to become like God. God doesn't want that. He's looking out for number one. So it's time for you, Eve, for you to look out for number one. Go ahead, take the fruit. It's going to make you like God. So she looks at it. She says, well, it looks good. It looks tasty. And it's supposed to have the cool superpower, so yes. She takes it, she gives it to her husband, and there's this thing that happens. It's described in the text as their eyes were open, and they see that they're naked. And in Scripture, the idea of being naked isn't around sexuality. The idea of being naked is around poverty. It's around not having enough. It's around misfortune. It's like when Jesus says in the New Testament, I was sick and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me, right? So nakedness is a sign of not having enough. And so what's been brought into the relationships is that I can't trust anybody else to take care of me. I will not have enough. I don't have enough. That's the sin. I cannot trust God. I need to look out for myself. God will not provide for me. Now they hide because there's this sense of I need to protect myself in some way. This whole world has become very scary. It's very naked and afraid moment right there if you've ever watched that show, right? So it goes from being like blissful to being like naked and afraid and suddenly like they're getting rashes from things and everything hurts and the bugs are biting them. Like everything just goes right away wrong. And God comes out and he's like, hey, where are you? And, and they're very bad at hide and seek. <clears throat> very, very bad. Where are you? Oh, are we here? We're hiding. It's like, oh, you have so much to learn. Um, <laughs> 
And he's, he, God, of course, knows what's going on. He says, oh, what's happening? And then you see just the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, right? It's no longer bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's like that woman you gave me, like she did that. Mm, mm, mm. Right? And then it's not like, oh, the little creatures that we named. It's like, oh, the serpent did it. The serpent did it. It's his fault. There's this breakdown God and humans and humans and humans and humans in creation, everything gets messed up. And God says, man, this is not going to be good for you all because everything's going to get harder for you. For the serpent, it's going to get hard for you to get from point A to point B. For the woman, it's going to get harder for you to do the beautiful thing of producing life. That's going to become really difficult now. For the man, for you, producing life is going to be really challenging now to produce life from the ground, the ground that you're from. There's this fracturing now. It's not going to work anymore. There's going to be this distance. There's going to be this divide. Now, theologians refer to this section of Scripture, this event of Scripture as the fall. The fall. It's, it's really more like a blatant tripping over something or a uh, choice, the bad choice, right? That would be more accurate. Um, there's this move from this intimacy and beauty and mutuality to I'm in it for myself. I cannot trust you. That's the fall. That's sin. And when theologians talk about the fall, there are a couple things you're going to hear around this language of sin. So let's talk about sin for a little while. Theologians talk about total depravity. And by that, they mean everything has been touched by sin. Every single thing in creation has been touched by the fall, has been touched by this disobedience, by this rebellion. There's nothing that is unaffected. Theologians also like to talk about original sin. And by that, they mean that this sin, this rebellion by Adam and Eve, that was the original sin, and we've all inherited it. So every other human being who's ever lived, we get this sin. Now, Sin takes up residence in our bodies and in our lives. We inherit things that come our way because of our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. Like we actually have the brokenness in our DNA. So you may hear people sometimes say, well, you know, I was born this way. And they're trying to make a claim like, you just have to accept me for who I am because God doesn't make junk. True, but God's not making any babies come out of the womb perfect. That's not the way it works. Pastor Matt has a two-year-old girl right now. He's very aware that people do not come out of the womb perfect. <laughs> right? So we have things that are built in us that the brokenness comes out in our DNA. Like some of us have a predisposition toward breast cancer or heart disease or depression. We don't just say, well, I was born this way, so I'm not going to take care of it. We say, yeah, I was born this way, so I'm going to take crack of my health and get mammograms and be fit and take my medication. Like, that's what we mean when we say the sin is in us. It's something that we don't make excuses for. Tomorrow I'm getting new lenses in my glasses <clears throat> because age. And um, if I were to just drive without my glasses and miss a stop sign and be pulled over 
And the officer comes over to the window and I say to her, hey, baby, I was born this way. I have a predisposed condition to farsightedness. She would say, um, get glasses, also pay this, <laughs> right? So sin is in us, it's in our bodies. So be really careful when somebody says, hey, I was born this way, you just gotta take me as I am. It's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Bad theology, all right? That's like a yellow card, okay? Could be a red, but we're just gonna start with the yellow. So we've got this stuff that we carry with us because of the brokenness of the world. And so we've got it in our bodies, and we also have it in our choices. We also have it in the inclinations of our heart. And it all goes back to this first lie that Satan said, God can't be trusted. God is a liar. God will not provide what you need. That's the lie that we believe. That's the lie that leads to sin. God won't provide me with a real authentic relationship, therefore I will access pornography. God will not provide me with the courage I need to talk to my roommate about the state of the bathroom, therefore I will avoid confrontation. God will not provide me the finances I need to see me through this year at Calvin College, so I will worry and worry and worry about it every day because worry solves all problems. God will not provide, therefore I will grab. That's the original sin. God will not provide, therefore I will grab. God will not provide reconciliation when I confess, therefore I will lie about my sin. God will not provide, therefore I will grab. I will take matters into my own hands. And sin looks shiny and it looks beautiful and looks tasty. It looks like the shortcut to life when it's really the fast track to death. Because that's what gets ushered in here. Like there are people who say, well, they didn't actually die in the particular moment that they ate. They did though. The beauty of their relationships died. The intimacy of their marriage died. The connection with the ground died. Lots of things die. You are very aware of how sin has killed things in your life. Sin kills. Sin is out to kill you. This is what happens. This is the tragedy. The enemy makes it look so alluring, and the truth is it will kill you. Pride will kill you. Envy will kill you. Lust will kill you. Anger will kill you. Gluttony will kill you. Sloth will kill you. That's why they call them the seven deadly sins. They kill Sin is something that we take seriously. So sin is the result of the fall. It affects every one of us, every person in this room. It affects our lives, our relationship, our health, everything. So we have creation, this beautiful, intimate, lovely mutuality. We have the fall. We have this fracturing of all the relationships. And it's really tempting to say, well, that's where the story ends. It ends in sin. That's the way it is. Sorry. 
Good luck with that. And there are theologians who point to chapter 3, verse 15, <clears throat> where there's this enmity that's set up between the descendant of the serpent and the descendant of the woman where it says that you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And there are people who have used that to point to Jesus. But this was actually a pretty late theological development. And while it is absolutely true that that's what happens, it also means that we see the serpent as a satanic force of some kind. Instead of just saying evil was already in creation and the serpent chose, he was the first creature to choose evil. There's a whole lot of theology to be done around that if you want to write a paper. But I think the actual grace in the text isn't just this foreshadowing of what is yet to come. The grace in the text comes in verse 21, which is something that we look over a lot. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. So their big fear, the lie that they have believed is that God is not to be trusted, that God will not provide, that they are naked and afraid, they are in this for themselves, they will never be able to rely on God anymore. And right after the curses, it would be very tempting to say, this is what we got, this is where we're going. But God shows up again and he says, no, not only will I provide for you, I will provide above and beyond what you need I will give you more than you need. The fig leaves are enough, but I will make you garments of skin. I will clothe you in the best of the best. I will continue to meet your need even though you doubt me. And in that, in that movement of kindness of God here at the end of this really painful, ugly story, God's movement of kindness, that is the foreshadowing, that is the setup, that is the thing that points to what he is up to, to say, I am going to provide for you a way out of sin completely. I will not just give you more than you need for your body. I will provide you more than you need for our relationship. I will save you body and soul. And this is the setup, of course, for Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. You can't fight sin in your own power. Have you noticed this? Have you tried? Self-will doesn't usually work. Like today, I will not sin. Mm. Right? It's like, okay, uh, pride. Already ruined it. <laughs> Took you a minute, but you got there. We can't do this in our own. We can't make ourselves right with God. We need to have somebody who comes in who takes on the sin. Right? We need Jesus to come in. And in the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, one of the key things he does is he restores all of these relationships. Think about it. Think about how Jesus interacts with creation. He turns water into wine. 
He calms the wind and the waves. He multiplies loaves and fishes. He shows that he is in complete partnership with creation as the Adam, the second Adam. He is intimately in with creation. He restores the relationship. In his ministry, he uses the stories and the events that happen to men and women and boys and girls to tell his story, to promote the gospel. He teaches women and men. He commissions women and men. He moves toward making these relationships again about mutuality in the service of something bigger than themselves. And of course, in the cross, he takes on our relationship with God, and he's the one who makes it right. And because Jesus did that, we now get to do that. We get to work against these curses. Some of you will go into fields like you'll be an OBGYN nurse and you will make labor and delivery easier and easier and easier for people. Some of you will go into agriculture and you will figure out ways to make crops grow and flourish, to make harvesting easier. Some of you will go into business and you'll figure out ergonomic ways for people to work more easily. Some of you will create software that doesn't crash. God bless you in advance. You see, when we talk here about being agents of renewal, this is what we're talking about. We're saying Jesus went ahead of us and he showed us how to restore these relationships, how to undo the curse. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we get to do. We get to say women and men are going to work side by side for the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom. We get to say the earth is beautiful. It is a gift from God to his people, and we are going to care for the creation. We get to say we are going to be people who trust that God will provide, and we're going to live that way and call each other to that. We get to undo the curse because that's what Jesus has done for us. And every day when you wake up, you get to live into the truth that our Jesus has gone before you. You get to live into the truth that your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Every morning, you get to wake up knowing that you are precious and loved by God. Every morning you get to wake up knowing that you worship a kind God who that day will clothe you in the garments you need. That God will give you what you need for that day. That this is a God who is worthy of our trust. And so as we move in to this study together and we look at the relationships between God and God's people over time, we will see this go back and forth, trusting, not trusting, sinning, forgiveness, this beautiful dance that happens over and over and over again because we worship a God who loves us. We worship a God who got his hands dirty creating us. 
We worship a God who can't wait to see how we will go and undo the curse alongside him. This is our God. Blessed be his holy name. Amen.